<gülüyor> Hackers. Foreign accountants rocking it out. Join Andrew Wall, Hector Garcia, and Michael Lee. One mission, one rule. Make accounting fun. Welcome to Friday Night Live with Accountants. Are you ready? Hey boys, how you doing? Happy Friday night. Hey, hey. Friday night, buddy. Special guest appearance, Bob Wang. Uh, welcome, uh, welcome back. I guess you know. I know a lot of people are staying up late just to see you join us again tonight. That's why we have Bob on the we, the, pretty, the pretty face of Canada. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but we apparently have lost Hector somewhere somewhere along the line. I guess he's Hector Shadow. <laughs> yeah, there he is. Back on. Hector Hector was uh, uneating earlier, and now he's hanging out with us, which is great. Now I think you you have you shared that that photo that photo of LIFO versus FIFO online or is that only shared amongst our group? <laughs> I put it in the QB Power Hour group. You put it in the QB Power. Hour. <laughs> um, so photo. those of you watching, you're gonna have to find that on on Hector's group. There's a there's a great description of the difference between uh, LIFO and FIFO that can only be visualized. Um, so I'm going to pique your curiosity and make you go on the hunt to find that cartoon because um, <laughs> it's, it's worth a look. Um, but we're, we're not here to talk about cartoons. Um, we're here to talk about the experience economy. Mm -hmm. um, Hector, you're the one who introduced me to the book. You want to you wanna kick us off? Sure, sure. I'm on uh, my Apple uh, headphones right now at the moment. I'm going to get my microphone kicked in in a second. So it might, might sound a little bit better later on. So The Experience Economy by Joseph Fine. It's a really neat book that explains how we went from a commodity-based economy, right, where we dealt with uh, plastic, oils, um, wood, right, all, all these things that were commodities, and that's basically what moved the economy. And then we, through the in industrialization, uh, we actually, it got really, really easy to build products and distribute them and we were no longer a commodity economy. We were sort of a finished goods economy. And then uh, we learned how to add value to these finished goods through the manufacturing process. So that, that, that evolved us to the service-based economy, which is kind of where we are right now. And, uh, and with the push of the internet and push of social media and push of communities, we are evolving from a service-based economy to an experience economy, which is what we're living now. So we're living that evolution from service to experience. And Joseph puts in the book that although the experience economy is great, um, you know, our job is to now take the experience economy into the transformation economy, but we're living the experience economy now. Uh, many people, actually the vast majority of value that, that, that people pay a premium for on products and services is because of the experience portion of it right and the best way i like to explain it is when i was a kid i remember i was maybe 10 or or, or 9 my dad took me uh, this is back in my home country to wash the car and it was this big big machine where you drove through and you had all these things you know coming in and and, and being dumped in the car and the car was being washed uh, and you had two choices you can be inside the car kind of seeing all these things banging the car back and forth, the soap, or you could be outside and wash the car, kind of go through this machine and then being washed by hand. So a lot of people opted in to stay in the car just to be in that experience, right? Feel the experience of being inside the car while it's being washed by all these machines. So many services uh, take on that uh, concept or that spirit and want to involve the customer in the process enough if the customer values being part of the experience. So that's what we want to talk about is, do we as accountants uh, take that concept and involve the client in an experience? Do we build and create an experience or how our experience can help us differentiate ourselves? That's great. I, I always loved, that was a great example. I always loved being in the car as a kid when the car went through the, the wash. And uh, in Arizona, mo a lot of the car washes, you actually step out of the car and you go into the convenience store and that's where they start selling you cheap goods and 
you know, the, the different smell, smell, the hanging smells for your car and things. But I always loved being in the car when it went through the machine. Cause you could see, um, you, you were always thinking, is it going to break the glass? Is this going to fill up? What's going to happen? And you hear all those loud sounds, just, just jettering the car. Like it's a, like it's a, a storm. Uh, so that, you know, that really drove in the unusual and unique experience of being in a car wash and you're yourself and actually being washed, but the car around you. Um, and then when you get to an adult, you're, you're thinking to yourself, don't scratch this car. Do not scratch this car. You <laughs> car. That's what you're thinking the whole time when you're in yeah. there. But when you're a kid, you're like, clean the car. This is so cool. So that's really cool. Well, well, Bob, you, you, uh, you kind of, uh, gave me the inspiration to, to to pitch this for the topic tonight yeah uh, what 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 have you has made you been what has gotten you thinking about this whole topic of the experience economy and especially as it relates to firms and the future of business right now for sure so uh i think hector great give a really great introduction uh, i just want to focus on that a bit more into how we can you know succeed in the next decade i uh, you know i i would say you know although as much as I love our growing community, at the end of the day, you know, we're still growing in the number of competitors as in, you know, um, our, our product and services are getting more and more commoditized and every single firm out there is using the exact same tech stack, you know, Deloitte is, you are, MNP is like, you know, I got a customer calling saying that they're not happy with their accountant. And I said, okay, so what, what tech stack are you using? And they started naming off all the apps. Well, great. Uh, but you know, software is no longer a competitive advantage, right? So what is a competitive advantage in the next decade? And so I was listening to a great podcast um, with uh, Brian Halligan uh, as a guest. He is a founder of HubSpot. And he, had a, he actually had a really amazing tweet that they discussed. And I'm going to quote it right here. 2009, your product needs to be 10 times better than the competition. 2019, your customer experience needs to be 10 times better than the competition. And he expanded by saying that uh, in 2009, it's actually very hard to uh, build a product, very expensive, because there's nothing out there, right? But but now it's so easy to build right code. Uh, there's templates you can use and code bases you can leverage, and it's just so. And there's so much money uh, uh, out there that if you have an idea, you can build it. Mm-hmm. And so now it's all about innovating that experience. And so you know, I, I thought. Is this, is this the future of the accounting industry, right? So in the last 10 years, it's all about who can bring the most product to the market, off-the-shelf product, right? And so, since now we're all using the exact same thing and there's more and more people getting into the space, I think in the next decade, it's going to be defined by who can deliver the best customer experience, the most memorable customer experience. And, you know, before I raise the, the point of Disney, I'm actually reading a book called How Disney Would Run Your Hospital. So again, hospitals are a commodity. Uh, you know, it's not known for great customer service. And, and in, in there, it, it, it talks about uh, the, the idea of theme parks. Uh, Disney didn't invent theme parks. In, in fact, there were carnivals way before he, 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 he came up with the idea, but he hated going to carnivals because they were dirty. You know, the people there were, you know, were just not well presented and the adults didn't have fun. And so he, he thought, how can I create a really great experience where the equipment is safe, the people are represented, adults and children have fun, and it's landscape where it's actually beautiful. It looks, it looks, like, it looks like a private garden. Um, so I, I wanted to you know, just bring those ideas into this conversation and say, how can we as accountants create a great customer service? Because we're not known for a great customer experience. We're not, right? When was the last time your customer said, wow, that was amazing what you did there? But that happens every day at Disneyland, right? And, and that's happening, you know, at this hospital, it's happening more and more so because they understand what customers actually want. And that is so beautiful, so powerful. And, and whoever's going to nail that in the next decade is going to win the 2020s, I think. Yeah, no, I, I, that's a great, that's a great uh, start. And, and just quickly, I, I, I immediately thought of um, the experiences in the U.S. at least that accounting, uh, cloud accounting firms have had with two specific apps, T-Sheets and Gusto. Um, 
those apps stood out to me and have stood out to many in, in, in our industry because of the experience they've created uh, so much so that, you know, Intuit came and bought T-Sheets. What, right. what is T-Sheets? It's a timesheet app. It's a timesheet app. Yeah. It's a picking timesheet app. It's one yeah. of hundreds of timesheet apps out there, but what did they do? They made sure great that, parties. huh? You get great Andrew? parties. Yeah. They and experience, great parties, right? And experience, How you experience so, the brand. Yeah. So what, what happened? You literally signed up as an account for T-Sheets. You got a gift in the mail immediately. They sent you a gift. Didn't matter if you had any customers signed up yet. You, you got a free account with, with, with T-Sheets as an accounting firm. They sent you a gift. Um, Gus is the same way. You, you uh, want to get a customer onboarded to Gusbo real quick for payroll. They take care of the whole process. It, it's, it's really a, really a unique experience. Gusto is another payroll, a payroll company. Yeah. So many payroll companies. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Just like you said, there, there's hundreds of, t, you know, uh, time tracking, but T-Sheets stood out because they made right. you feel special. And you were like, wow, I right. feel appreciated. Right. I don't feel like we do that enough. No. If, no. if at all. Well, I think outstanding services when your accountant calls you back the next day, people are like, wow, that's outstanding service. It's, it's ser- scary how true that is, but that's how weak we've become in delivering experiences for our clients that an outstanding experience from an accountant is an accountant that calls you back um, at least within a reasonable amount of time. And I think that there, there's a tremendous opportunity now. Yes, there is no obligation to evolve, to trying to develop a better experience for your customers, but it's that multiplication that multiple that you get when you're actually willing to step up to the experience economy and try and deliver based on experience. Cause I think one of the things that I took away from the book was when they talk about this evolution from commodity to product, to service, to experience, the multiples that you're going, you're, you're willing to pay um, for those goes up, you know, 10 X. And I think the great analogy that they use in the book is, you know, a cake, what does it cost in commodities to make a cake? You know, pennies, maybe a dollar or two to get the butter and the um, the flour to make the to make the 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 cake, um, but you're willing to pay ten times that to buy the Duncan Hine mix to save you time, and you're willing to pay ten times that price to buy a pre-made cake that someone has made for you at at the store that's willing to write your name on it, and make it look all pretty, and what are you willing to pay for that experience of a birthday party? You know, another ten or twenty times the price of that cake for that experience. And, and that's what we've got to now is this where parents are paying not even hundreds of dollars for a birthday party, thousands of dollars, and sometimes tens of thousands of dollars to have this experience of a birthday party or a quinceanera or whatever the milestone is for your child. And it's about that experience, not necessarily about that, you know, the commodities that make up that experience. So I think that seeing that multiplication and how you can scale the value to your customer by making it be more than just the commodities that you're delivering to them, which is the tax return, which is the books, right? How do we create that experience? And I think that that's, that's the hard part for, for a lot of us, especially as we move more towards a virtualized model where we're, we're not even necessarily meeting with our clients. So in some ways, potentially that experience is, is downgrading from, from that experience. We don't have the opportunity to have, you know, the office atmosphere and give an impression or an experience when they come into the office because they're meeting virtual. So how do you create an experience when we're meeting like this with our customers, um, if not for the first time, for the year ends and the reviews and the regular ongoing meetings? So I think it's, it's getting more and more important but also harder and harder to create those experiences. Hector, did you have something to jump in with? Nope. Okay. Hey, can you hear me now? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. So I was finagling with my, my prop here that says Friday night live. So we're, we're official, official broadcasting over here. I so, yeah, what, uh, what I wanted to chime in is do we have, do we have an opportunity in this podcast and this conversation to describe what is it that a good experience or a bad experience mm-hmm. looks like? Because we're talking here in a theoretical framework, but it is very true. I heard uh, Ron Baker in a podcast mentioned this a couple of weeks ago, and it just really sent me into a research spin. So a net promoter score, a lot of people know what that is, but net promoter score is sort of the modern way that companies 
measure whether the customer is satisfied to the point where they recommend uh, your services or your product to a friend or colleague. And Net Promoter Scores has its own specific uh, system in which they measure uh, the number. Disney is in the 70s, to give you an idea. So, so 70 is up there, you know, really, really great number. Accounting is at 25%. And just to give you some context, car dealerships are at 30%. So the accounting profession <laughs> has a lower net promoter score than a car I'm not dealership. surprised. I'm not surprised. So, 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 so we, have a, we have a huge, and, and again, this is across the board, little companies, big companies, all that stuff. Obviously, it's difficult to, to infer that a solo bookkeeper versus a hundred person faceless accounting firm, that's obviously going to be a much different experience. Yeah. But at the same time, the bigger the company, the more the resources they have, the more technology they have, you, you would think that they would have the tools to give uh, a great, uh, a, a just a great experience and a great net promoter score. So let's, let's discuss that. You know, what, what is, yeah. what is a good experience? What is a bad experience in our so industry? And Andrew, to your, to your point, uh, yeah, of course it's not easy. <laughs> you know, if it was easy, it would be done. And and you know, we, there is actually a couple of specifics in in the chat here, and people are mentioning about giving products away as a welcoming gift. That's that's one part. You know, I've done some thinking and, and studying through this, and there's no obviously one way to do this, but the the process to to elevating your customer experience is is mapping out every step along the way, every touch point that you have with the customer and, and think about how can I make this a uh, wow? Mm -hmm. And then you would prioritize that into you know, the 80-20. What is the 20% of an experience gonna make the 80% impact? So I'll, I'll just you know, give you a quick example. Uh, when you pick up the phone call, what do you say? Is it, hey, what's up? Or, hey, this is, you know, TD, for example, it's really cheesy, but they say, hey, how can, how can I make your day better? You know, it's, it's different, it's unique. It, 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 it does put a different, uh, start the conversation in a different way. Uh, when, you, when you do discovery, do you have a checklist or do you actually tell people to, hey, dig in to actually understand their story, their personal story? It's both discovery, but it's how you approach it, right? Um, when you actually have a scope and you wanna price it out, you wanna send a proposal, how quickly do you turn around the proposal? Is it an hour, a day, a week? That all impacts customer experience. Um, what, is, what does the proposal look like? Do they option, is it clean, simple? Is it confusing? All those things, your copywriting, right? Um, and then I would say the, ne the next part, the most important one, the onboarding. How does that look like? I think a lot of times, you know, especially when we're doing uh, value pricing or you know, doing catch up work, you know, we say, hey, it's going to cost five grand. And then I've, I, <laughs> I, I've heard, you know, stories and, and this being done where, where later on you go to the client and say, hey, actually we quoted five, but it actually costs six. And we've actually already done the work. So all we're doing is really just chart, you know, asking for a thousand dollars. And to your point, Hector, like, yeah, even, even car mechanics these days are, have enough courtesy to give you a call before they start doing work on your car. But I've seen accountants to just do the work with, with zero concern for, for budget and just say, actually, there was a lot of mess. So it's actually your fault. So please pay me a thousand. It happens, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. So I think there's so much room that we can improve on. Um, and then, you know, I, I used to own a Honda and, and now I have a BMW. Uh, when I go into service, completely different experience. Now I know that when you buy a BMW, it's not just about the car, it's about the whole experience. You go in there, beautiful lounge. There's croissants. <laughs> there's there, there's like fresh coffee, and um, and when when they, and they keep you updated through text message. I love that. I don't want you to call me. I just wanted to text me about you know is this on track, on track, off track, uh, you know, and and uh, and it and it, they text me, hey, your car's ready for pickup. Give me a call. I love that. Whereas in Honda, it's like I'm always missing calls because you know I'm in the, in the meetings and stuff, right? So I think. You know, there's no one right answer, but you got to do what's true to you. And and step one is mapping out every single touch point you have with the customer. So throw it back to you. Yeah, no, that, that, that's great. I, I think there's two components to this. Um, and I think of uh, two experiences. One is Chick-fil-A. Every time I go to a Chick-fil-A, which is I don't get to go too often because we don't have 
one in Vermont. We do have one across the water in New York. So we will actually literally take the boat across the lake to Chick-fil-A to experience this. Um, they stand themselves out like no other fast food place because they do things you would never expect a fast food place to do, right? Um, so it's, and when you think through what does a customer expect and then what's the extra that they do not expect at all, that is uniquely different, right? Um, the little secret, your kids can take the toy if they don't want it, bring it back to the counter and get an ice cream instead, right? That's this is like little, these little things. Um, the, everyone comes by and asks, um, if they can take your plates away or what they can do for you, um, how they can, they can refill your fast food restaurant, plate. like take your plate away. Yeah. That's not a fast food restaurant, but they, but it's that. Wow. Yes. Wow. Yeah, exactly. Or, or they see a bunch of kids, a mom with a bunch of kids, they go and clear a table, they clean it. They, they bring over the mats. They put them on the table for you. Yeah. They, you know? they put themselves in the customer's shoes yes. and, and think, how would I want to be treated in this right. scenario? Right. right. And, and really, wow. Yeah, right. that's great examples. I, I would go to Chick-fil-A. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it's great, great examples, you know, and I hope they expand to Canada so you guys can experience the beautiful Southern yeah. <laughs> hospitality of Chick-fil-A. Um, but the other thing is, uh, is my realtor. When we, when we first came to Vermont, we Googled for a realtor and we bought a home through him. And, you know, he had no idea if we were going to end up buying a home. He showed us 12 to 15 homes on one weekend. On a weekend, we came here. We ended up making an offer. He helped us through it. We bought it. You know, he made his small commission on it. After that one experience, he sent us a communication, either a, a card, an email, or a gift on every holiday. Every holiday, every birthday, both for me and Shannon. Now, who does that, right? Who does that? There, the, the likelihood of us making another purchase, even if remotely in a few years, was really low we bought our first home in Vermont. So, but he stayed with us mm -hmm. and you know what opportunity had it. I was able to buy a few rental properties and I went to him. Yeah. Cause course. there was, I was going to go to nobody else. Well, I was going to consider nobody else. Michael, right? the lesson there yeah. I think is, is also consistency because yes. right. It's it, like the first three times you got a card. I was like, eh, you know, <laughs> thanks. But the, but the 13th time you got a card, you're like, wow, this guy's for real. Yeah. Right. So I think their consistency is a, is a key point in customer experience as well. Although I have a question for you. When does it veer away from consistency to spam? And at what, what point is it adding value? And at which point is it, this is, you know, clearly a sales tactic, tax tactic. Um, and, you know, there's really, you know, I, I'm getting the same birthday card every single year and it's the exact same birthday card. Like, I guess that's where it starts to veer away is it, it, it's not just about consistency. It's about intent and, and it's about content, right? So if you, it, you can't just send the same birthday reminder no, every can't. single year, um, you know, you've got to vary that up and you, you've got to have really good content because I think that that's the slippery slope if we're just like, okay, let's just make sure that we're hitting them on every birthday and every anniversary. If it's crappy, insincere totally. content, it's not creating an experience. It's actually creating a negative experience. It's gotta be authentic. It's gotta be a uniquely authentic, right? This, this year it's, it was brownies. He sent both me and my wife on our birthdays packets of brownies. So he literally and brownie points. Yeah, it's really, really amazing. <laughs> nice. That's great. That's really, really great. Hector, you have any other thoughts about this? Yeah, I wanted to add, um, I think Bob said some great examples. You know, um, and, and we were just talking about the post-service experience. I think it's also good to break out that experience as different uh, phases, right? There is the pre-purchase experience. There is the experience during the duration of that service, right? From the moment I buy to the moment I get delivery and then the experience uh, for afterwards. And I think that if we're gonna design a unique experience for our business, we should create it, compartment, compartmentalize it and create three different plans, right? So what does my pre-purchase experience look like and how do people you know, get an enjoyable, positive experience from my brand. So when they come by, they're not comparing us with the competition or, 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 or looking for the lowest price or trying to use a coupon 
or request a discount or what, whatever tactic people use to take them over the edge from, I'm not sure I should buy from them to I want to buy from them, right? So, so there, there's a lot of work you can do when it comes to experience pre-purchase. So for example, how, what was the experience of calling your office and just getting uh, overall information, right? Was there hold time where the people, uh, you know, they're happy and sincere and uh, were they truthful? Did they seem like they were giving away uh, the answer, even though you're not a client, are they being clear? Or are they just teasing up the answer? So I mean, there's a lot of sort of moving parts uh, pre-purchase that we have to think hard about, okay, how much do we want to invest pre-sale, right? So before it's a customer, before they pay us, before we get any money, you know, in, in the experience process. Then right between that and the service experience, the specific sales experience is also really important. So I think that probably what accountants are worst at, and I would, and there's many things that we're bad at, but specifically it's salesmanship. I think accountants are really, really bad salespeople. And the reason for that is because we never needed it, right? Because there's so little, so little of us compared to how many small business owners that, that need tax returns done or whatever. Um, and we've gotten a lot of default business over the years. So we've never seen the real need to get good salesmanship training, right? So um, Blair Enns, which is one of the people that I admire, he's the author of Win Without Pitching. He's, uh, he says something that's really, really great, which is the sale is the sample. The sale is the sample, right? So if you have a great sales process that looks and feels like this would be a great person to work with after I buy from them, that's going to take you over the edge. So if there's one tip I can give to my colleagues is get really, really good at delivering a great sales presentation. And you, you, can, you can take away the word sales and replace it with assessment, a great assessment presentation or whatever it is, if, this, if the word sales scares you. Then the hardest one, which is how do we deliver a great experience during the the, 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 the actual work and the process, there's tons of things that are broken, right? Us asking for the same bank statement 17 times that although it's the customer's fault, that messes up with the experience, right? Us um, asking questions that seem obvious to our clients, like, hmm, wouldn't you know that? Why are you asking me? It's almost like something that you should know. That could also break uh, the experience. And, and, and the ways we can mitigate the, the, that issue is by communicating upfront Look, when we start working, I am going to ask you for the bank statement and I will ask you once a day per day until I get it, right? And if you actually set the expectation up front, that, that may, it may not feel like a nuance or, or, like a, or like a spam. Or you can say, look, I don't want to make assumptions about what you spend your money on. So sometimes I'll ask you questions that seem a bit obvious, but that would, I will start building some context. And I promise you that once I see the pattern, I won't ask you the same question uh, twice, but I, but it may seem like that at the beginning, as we sort of build uh, the 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 IQ about your business, and we can do and we can do that. And then the, the the last part of the within service experience is: Did you deliver on time? Did you do what? Did you do what you said you were going to do? And did you nickel and dime me any at any point that it felt like it was a small deviation, something that. It's difficult to tell up front, but come on, you're a professional. You should know that there's going to be variation. So there's, as accountants, we have all sorts of problems, you know, pre-sale, sales process, doing the, the, the sale. And really the easiest one is the one you were talking about afterwards, right? Sending them the box of chocolates or whatever. That's easy because that's just money and calendar, right? So put it on the calendar, spend money on it, right? That's really mo most of it what it is. Um, but I think our biggest opportunity is, experience during the service at at the really at the at the beginning of that process the sales and right there at the delivery i think that's the bulk of our opportunity right there so i wanted to uh, uh ask a propose a question and based on what you said hector i think it's really helpful to think about you know the, the whole process as as three categories but really at the end of the day it's every single touch point needs improvement but you know if we wanted to make this podcast into an actionable like what are we going to do tomorrow? Because I really want, you know, this is November already, right? I really want whoever's listening here to prioritize improving customer experience in 2020, because that's going to set you up for success for the next decade. 
And yes, it's going to take a decade because every single customer touch point is going to need improvement. But where the heck do you start? And you start with the most important, most impactful. So I guess the, you know, I want to throw the question out to you guys. What do you think is, is the 80-20, you know, the 20% the of, of the activities that's going to provide the 80% of the result, the impact, the, mem the memory, the wow. Go ahead. Yeah, I think I got, I, I'll start with the easy one. I think Michael will agree with me by having a focused practice that clearly states, this is what we do. This is how we do it. This is why we do it and attract the customers that you are best fit to serve. Not every customer that walks in, attract and work with the customers that you are best fit to serve. Gotcha. You want to so what you're saying is, is uh, define your ideal customer and set the right expectations right off the bat. Because if you don't have the right expectations set, then, then things can go wrong. So, so and only you know. work with them, only work right. with them. Cool. Right at the, at the beginning, you're going to have multiple customers, but only work with them because you are going to get immensely better at what you do, better at communicating it, and you're going to be better than everyone else if we focus on our craft, what we're good at, what we're great at in, our, in the vertex between our vertical, our horizontal, and our special skills. Yeah. What do you think, Andrew? Um, I think that that's, that's definitely great. I mean, I'm in a niche business. I completely agree. But I also know that a lot of the people who are listening to the show right now uh, aren't at that point and, find it, and are finding it very difficult to be able to get to that point for whatever reason. And so I want to give them something that I think is, is more tangible that every business can do regardless of finding that. And, and like, I'm not saying that's not great advice. It's absolutely brilliant advice, but some people aren't there yet. So what about those people who aren't there yet? And I think it's communication, 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 communication. Um, how are you going to up your game tomorrow and how you communicate with your client? Is that improving your response time? Is that changing the way that you communicate with your clients? Maybe it's like you said uh, earlier, Bob, about how getting a text versus a phone call was such a game changer for you from your experience at, at BMW. How do you change your communication so that you connect with your clients in a more meaningful way? Especially we all know that clients and ourselves hate getting email, but yet what's the first way you reach out to your clients? The first way every one of us connects with our clients is probably via email, even though we hate it ourselves and we know our customers hate it. So why are we doing it? Because it's cheap and it's easy. It's and easy. if we want to create an, an incredible experience, we got to do the hard work, right. not the easy work. Yeah, yeah. And I, I just wanted to expand on that a bit. You know, communication, and, and in a way, you're communicating expectations as well. And going back to what you were saying, Hector, is, you know, the, uh, you know us causing delays, delivering stuff on time. In my perspective, like, delays aren't really the problem. It's how you communicate about the delays that's a problem, right? If you're going to be late, it's okay. Just say, hey, I'm so sorry this happened. Give us an extra 48 hours. We'll get it to you. It's but if you're, if you're silent about it, then then that's an issue, right? Yeah. So, yeah, Michael, what do you think? Yeah, no, I while we were doing this, I uh, actually sent a note to my sales staff and my assistant. I said, hey, I, I'd like to start uh, every, new, every new deal that's signed or every upgrade or renewal that's signed with us. I, wanna, I want a handwritten note with my signature on it sent to the, sent to the customer. I just want to start. So I'm thinking through every touch point now as we're yeah. going through this and going, great. How do I wow these customers? Actionable. Uh, Love it. <laughs> well, literally as a cost of a card and a postage yeah. postage, that's it. It's nothing. Right. And, um, and so now I'm thinking through, okay, we got that. We got, Oh, what else can I do 30 days from now? What can I do? And then um, basically start going through there, thinking through every single step um, of them interacting with us. Can I make a phone call and leave a message and say, Hey, I just want to thank you for signing up with Reconciled and uh, because I'm, I am disconnected from customer engagement. So just them getting a call from the CEO whom they've never met, it says, thank you. It's like, how often do you get that from any CEO of any company? You don't, but that's just, just adding that extra wow factor. So this is really getting my brain thinking and through how we can start creating that experience for our customers. Mm -hmm. I uh, want to chime in and, and I, I just think that out of the entire process that Hector had, had mentioned, I truly think that onboarding is actually the most critical piece, even more important than, than sale and pre-sale and delivery work and post. Now, that's just my experience, but, but in my experience, 
onboarding is where really customers understand how you function. And this truly, you know, we talked about the first impression, but this is truly the first impression, right? You can screw up sales, but if they sign up with you, their first trial with you, experience with you is onboarding. And if you screw that up, you're done. But if you do a great job, you know, that goodwill can carry you for a bit longer until you get the rest of the stuff in order. That's just my perspective. Well, I think they had said to me that it's, it's all about that first 90 days. Hmm. It's the experience that you create in that first 90 days that sets the tone for the entire relationship. Right. Just like when you meet someone for the first time, it's that first impression. Now, this first impression doesn't get formed in three seconds. You got 90 days to form that expression, to form that experience and that impression of yourself. And if you do a great job at that, like you said, they're going to forgive the little ups and downs here and there that we all are going to make along the way. At, at some point along the lines, you know, there's going to be some hiccups somewhere and clients are going to be willing to forgive that. Like if you've got a client that you're with for 20 years, I guarantee you not everything is going to run perfectly for all 20 years. Yeah. But if you create that great experience up front and early, they're going to be far more open to forgiveness if and when you ever get into a situation where you need that forgiveness. Mm -hmm. Hector, you said. Uh... Yeah, I, I wanted to add that most when I think that when most people think the word onboarding, and you're right, Bob, I'm actually agreeing with you, uh, onboarding slash setting expectations, kind of the same thing. But when people think of onboarding, and when I think of onboarding, I think of they signed the contract, uh, they, they paid the down payment or whatever, and the work that happens before that. However, I actually think, and this is from my personal experience, that there's a lot of work you can do prior to onboarding to do part of the work of onboarding. Like for example, you know, when you go to high school and you take AP credits and then you go to college and you already got some credits sort of built in there. So you can actually do some AP credits pre-purchase pre by doing over communication of your process so for example a lot of my clients when they come in they've already seen one of my videos they already heard one of my podcasts they've already read, read one of my articles and they've done onboarding homework on onto themselves and they come to me and said hey i saw your video about inventory this is what i've done i went ahead and i created my inventory item list i couldn't import it i also need to make an adjustment i also checked out video one two three and read this article and i got stuck here this is what I want you to do with me. And, and, then, and then from that communication, the sales process until they purchase, 80% of the onboarding and expectation setting what's already done. And when we start working, we are like basically hitting the ground running. So obviously this, is, this, varies, this varies practice to practice and style to style. Not everyone does uh, a, a huge amount of homework pre-sale to get the client on board per se, but going back to what I said earlier, so I'm going to defend my, my point is when you have a focused strategy, you work with a specific type of client, you're really good at communicating and you create content around that focus. Uh, like for example, I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you an example. And this Bob, if you never heard this before, and I think Michael and, and, and Andrew have, this will blow your mind. Okay. So I had a client email me three days ago and he, this was an email. Hector, I have, and this is a really good client and I, I want to take any referral that they send me. I have a friend of mine who just graduated as a dentist. He is uh, going to be a 1099. He needs some tax advice. Would you be a good accountant to refer him to? You know what I did? I wrote an article about a case of a dentist that is a 1099 about the top 10 expenses that they need to watch out for, 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 for taxes. Uh, you know, some of the strategies about setting up a home office, this and that, backdated it to a year ago, replied to her and said, yeah, as a matter of fact, I worked with dentists before. Read this article that I had. And basically in that article, I thought ahead of time what the entire engagement is going to look like, what my advice was going to look like, how are we going to work together and what value they're going to extract from me. When that person read that email, they, 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 they couldn't believe that they found an accountant that was put on earth just to work with that person. And by the way, nice. dentist, self-employed dentist is not my area of focus, but mm -hmm. I can do a tax return for this person. I want to help this is a really good client of mine. I do want to help the referral. So you can do tons of work preemptively before you get a client to create that, that create that sort of pre-onboarding. So that's yeah. what I would like to sell on. I think that pre-onboarding is actually one of the most important sales tactics. Right. 
Um, yeah, you're definitely quite advanced in that in that journey, and I think that that's great. That's a great example for us to follow there. Now, another question I had is is like getting the team on board. You know, I think you and I were talking. You know, we're talking here as CEOs, as leaders. We're we're in. Like we're, we understand what the next decade is going to look like, and we understand how the next decade is going to play out. But how do you get the team to buy in? Because customer experience is a team effort. In fact, it's way more important that your team buys in than you because they're in the front line. So how do we permeate this priority through their entire team? Yeah, I, I, I think one is you actually have to start by creating a great experience for your employees at your, at, at your company. Okay. Why do people love? Wait, wait, hold on. Yeah. You're telling me that before <laughs> my customers can have great experience, I have to think through my employees. employee experience. <laughs> exactly. That's double the work, man. Yeah, double the work. You know, oh, you know why? Why Kill can me. why can the Disney experience happen at Disney, or the Chick Fil A experience happen at Chick Fil A? Because the employees themselves absolutely love what they're experiencing. They're not they're not going through drudgery going getting to work they can't wait to get to work because they can't wait to feel that way and be treated that way from their boss or from their from their team from the supervisor and then they can't wait for the experience of making other people feel that way and so uh we've been very intentional at reconciled of even through the interview process when candidates are coming through and even the ones we end up saying no to that they've had a good experience the whole way through. And uh, I was interviewing a candidate today, you know, that we're considering hiring. And she just said, your process is so thorough, yet every interaction I had with you, you and the company, I wanted to be part of it more. I wanted to be a part of it more. Every single person I met made me want to be a part of it more. You've just made me want to take the offer, whatever it is you're going to send. So we have to start like with the start with our own people and our people cannot be authentically happy or excited for our customers. If they hate coming to work and they hate coming to the office and they're like, you want me to make the customer happy? You're not making me happy. Right. That's what the employee is thinking. So we actually have to start with, I think our employee, our own employee experience. Totally. Yeah, I, I agree. Starting with your own employees experience is, is definitely critical, but I think to the point you said, it's, it's about, showing them how great it feels to make other people feel great. And to the extent that you can do that and have your whole set crash on you at once, <laughs> um, is, is, is I think that that's the key. I mean, um, you know, it's people who, who live that experience of wanting to deliver for their customers live it because the euphoria that you get out of making other people feel great. Right. And so I think that if you can show people how amazing that feels, it's contagious. Mm -hmm. I, can give you, I can give you a good example that I learned from when I used to work at Circuit City. <laughs> so I used to work at I used to work at Circuit City um, 2004, 2006. And I used to be uh, I used to head this on-site service department. So all the folks that did computer repairs, computer installation, and, uh, and TV and audio equipment, I managed that team. And my boss, who, was, who really, really liked to get praises from his boss, gave me the direction that, Hector, your job is to make sure that every one of your employees, when they're finished working with their customers, that they give them my business card and they write to me about their experience, right? So, I thought it was really quirky and I didn't pay much attention to it. And, but that required me as a manager to make sure that if these guys are out there asking their customers to tell them about the experience that they are delivering a great experience, that way the email is something positive. So we implemented that and every single day, you know, he was forwarding emails to me of all the compliments of all the things that were happening during the jobs. So and he told me, Hector, your job during the morning meetings is to read this out loud and let the team know what the team is doing for our customers. And uh, as corny as I thought the whole thing was when I was really, really young and I thought he was just trying to get sort of credit for himself, I you know, realized later on the power that it is 
to let the team know and recognize the team in public of the great things that they're doing out there. Of course, there were some emails that were complaints and, hey, this didn't work, that didn't work. They arrived late or whatever. Um, but And those, we didn't uh, we didn't read those in public. Those, we actually sat down with the technicians and said, hey, look, it looks like there's a learning experience here. You know, what did, what went wrong? Let's talk about that. What could we do to, 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 to help that fix it, X, Y, Z. But I thought that was brilliant. And I personally haven't implemented that in my current business. I feel that's such a weird thing to say, to tell my clients to email us if you had a good experience. But isn't that the same as asking for a review? Yeah. A, a, a pro advisory review or, or something like that? I mean, what, what's the difference between that and asking for that sort of social confirmation mm-hmm. that they've had a good experience? I love that. I think it's a great idea. I think that's a great concept uh, and, to, and to your point, I wouldn't necessarily do it the same way, but I think the key concept here is transparency and sharing success, right? Everyone knowing what, what the right behavior is and then getting examples of that. Cause I think, you know, if you want to say, Hey, let's do a great customer experience. They're like, okay, yeah. But like, what does that mean? And so if you share success stories, people will say, okay, so that's a great example. I can do something like that or, or something like that. Right. I think, um, you know, uh, I think taking a one step back from our conversation, uh, we definitely need to, need to improve employee experience. We definitely need to get the right feedback. We need to be uh, sharing success and sharing stories. But I think one thing we, we need to also do as leaders is to create a vision and continually repeat what that vision is. It may be, uh, if you're in a very poor situation, it may be like, look guys, I'm sorry. I haven't been the best boss to you guys. Let's change that. The new vision for 2020 until 2030 is we want to be the best experience accounting firm out there. And, uh, and it starts with me giving you the best experience. And so creating a vision for your team, uh, creating the culture, uh, living out your culture, I think is a great way to manage change and kickstart uh, the next decade. Everyone just nodding. <laughs> oh, but why <laughs> for president? Twenty twenty for president. Yeah, Bob. Sure. Okay. Yeah, I love it. Did you get the three of us speechless, Bob? You know, yeah, no, 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 no. summarizing, summarizing what we talked about. I so, um, so we talked about, I think, you know, the, the why great experience. We talked about the prioritization of great experience. We talked about how to actually change the team and direct it to, in, in the right direction. Maybe, uh, I don't know if, what else you want to talk about, but we can you know, brainstorm a few other details such as like, you know, you said about during delivery and post-delivery, what are some other quick things that we can do to improve our uh, customer touch points in those moments? Well, I want to do a nod to uh, someone who's already gone to bed now, but who was on, on the comments earlier, Chris Fudge, mm. um, who I know Bob knows. Uh, Hector and Michael might not know who Chris Fudge is. Uh, he's a Canadian here. He's, he's uh, managing, I think he's in charge of, um the support team now if i if i know correctly um, but he worked in the accountant side for a long time and he basically talked about there's three key areas which is basically uh to personalize to personalize the experience um and to build a relationship and uh what was his third point over here um so uh personalize uh build a relationship and onboarding is key as hector pointed out earlier um so i think that that's really Excellent points. I think one of the things we haven't talked about is the personalization, um, you know, and, and, and one thing that that brings to my mind is um, this concept of mass customization. Um, and, and this is something that they talk about in the book too, is, um, you know, the moving from this, you know, along the spectrum from commodity uh, to product to service to experience, it's, it's moving from the assembly line to this concept of mass customization. So giving every individual a personalized experience, but doing that at scale is what the future is about. If you want to create an experience, it's it's about not just an experience, it's about a personalized experience. So it's not just okay to, to send the letter that Michael's going to send. It's got to be a letter that has a personal touch, not just the client's name. Like not, dear John, I hope you had a great year. I'll see you next year. 
It's Dear John, I had a great time chatting with you about your love for bikes. Um, can't wait to see you next year. You know, you know, enjoy the summer cycling through the cycling through the city to the point where you can put in that little personal touch in that communication is going to take that experience from a, yeah, it's pretty good. It's nice that Michael reached out to me. To, Holy crap. I can't believe Michael knows that about me. And, and we have that opportunity right now. And this is something we've talked about before on the show, I think is as bookkeepers, you have so much insight into people's things. It's so easy to go up and look at what vendor do they spend the most amount of money at? Okay. Odds are they probably like that vendor. Maybe I just make some comment about, Hey, I hope you're enjoying your Starbucks or I hope you, you know, enjoyed that restaurant or, you know, find a restaurant where they, you know, maybe spent 10 times what they normally spend on a meal and, and send them a gift certificate for that restaurant because you know, they've been there, you know, they spent a lot of money there. So they must've, they probably had a great experience when they went. Um, so why not personalize that thank you to not just a box of chocolates, but a gift to a restaurant, you know, they go to on a regular basis. Is yeah. Yeah. I, I immediately thought of uh, the customer experience, just like when you leave Disney or when you leave Chick-fil-A, uh, what is your customer's experience when they leave your firm? That, that, that would be interesting to think you want to think through. And I, I think we, you know, <laughs> right now it's uh uh, an email of thank you for the service. Sorry to see you go by, you know, it's just, you know, it's very cold, very non-personal. Um, and we move, we move on. And yet, how do we, how do we create a crafting experience where uh, maybe they leave you for a good reason, um, but they can say, but I'm still willing to refer you. And I'm still willing to talk great about you around the city or around town or through my network, because you still tried and you were kind and you, you, you weren't a jerk. Um, and you made my experience walking out feel like Disneyland, which is, you know, so that would be, that would be a very interesting to think through is how to even change the game when you don't really expect uh, anything in return. Well, I think um, you talked about earlier, like your experience with the real estate agent, right? Like yeah. he had very little expectation of you buying another house immediately but he fostered that and nurtured that relationship. It's the same thing we got to do with our clients who leave us. Clients leave to maybe they've left the business. Maybe they've sold their business. Um, maybe that, you know, the business went under because of tough times. There's lots of reasons why clients may no longer be clients of ours, um, but not have not be because we've done a bad job or um, because they're unhappy with us. So how do we continue to nurture and foster that relationship Um so that you can have someone who is like amazed, like Michael's not even my accountant and he's still sending me personalized messages. He's still sending me a handwritten letter every year. Like this guy's freaking awesome. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's what you want people to do is go to go. This guy's not a good accountant. Like you don't want people saying you need an accountant. Yeah. Michael's a good accountant. You want, no, Michael's a freaking awesome accountant. This guy is amazing. I don't know how he remembers the things he does. He just has a brain, like a machine. He's the guy you got to go to. I think there's a lot of different methodology uh, to appreciate customers, but I think if we can change their mindset and, and turn them from being customers or clients and really see them as guests, guests come, guests leave. Really good. I love that. Yeah. Guests. I love guests, guests too. Guests come, you serve them, you love them. And this, and this guest just happens to be, let's say, like, let, if uh, if an aunt that you like <laughs> comes to your home, how would you treat this person? And how would you send them off? My aunt with a kick in the butt. <laughs> <laughs> right, no, someone that you like. <laughs> there's a there's a there's a proverb, um, old story. I I remember uh, when I was friends with with uh, these Libyan students in Seattle. They told me that there's this old Bedouin proverb. Um, where when you meet a stranger, you bring them into your home, you feed them, uh, you give them drink, you give them rest for three days, and then you send them down and ask them, how can I help you? You know, it's like, it's funny, <laughs> you've just done all of that, but that's right. like the length of the Bedouin, that's the, the length of the Bedouin hospitality, right? right. And the Bedouins are these nom the nomadic tribes that just travel the North African desert. Um, and when they, they treat strangers, with the highest of hospitality, kill, kill the fattened, you know, kill the yeah. fattened camel, 
give rest food, drink for three days, then you, then you can bug your guests with a question. But until you've done that, you cannot, you're not even allowed to bug them right. with anything. You have, to, you have to show them that you, you earn the right to even ask them a question. And right. that was just a really interesting proverb. Um, and, and hospitality is such a big deal for us at our house um, and a big deal for me. Um, that, that, that question, Bob, of shifting that, I, I, don't, I don't treat my customers as guests in too much. <laughs> yeah, well, obviously that's that very way. extreme, right? But yeah, certain but still, aspects that we can... Yeah leverage yeah <laughs> i think i think it's it's a great shift to to, to, to instead of worrying customers or cu- clients is there another word where it brings them an, an inch closer to to you um as personal you know and uh and crosses kind of that crosses that border of professional personal um i think where cl- customer client can um can be a little bit numb or a little um unemotional um, unless you've created that, that the meaning of that word, those words already. Um, so that's really, really great. Just kind of thinking through making them guess. Michael, I wanted to, uh, and with what you and Bob are saying, isn't that a bit, so I'm going to be a bit of a devil's advocate. Isn't it a bit at, at odds to mass customization and scalability? Cause what you have just described is sort of the anti-scale, right? You know, like forget about all customers for three days and focus on creating this incredible experience. Of course, we're, you know, we're, we're going to the extremes here, but, um, but I think that especially if your practice is designed to serve around 200 or 300 customers, how, like I, I'm trying to reconcile those two things. You know, how do we, you know, is experience something that requires 100% attention of the person or can experience be assisted by a system or something like that? Yeah, I'd like to field that one um, just because I think that it is there's the technology, the ability to give the highly personalized feel and still use systems and process to give that experience. Like, I mean, I'm, as you guys know, a big fan of Infusionsoft. We use that technology um, to be able to give people highly personalized experiences, um, but yet in a customized and automated way that doesn't have to take huge amounts of time. So they get um, um, funneled into different um, systems and processes based on their own needs. So they can, we can have a different line of communication based on information that we have about the client so that you get a general customization, that you get 80% of it into what feels personalized, but it's still, it's, it's still uh, generalized, but it's been broken down into different silos. Um, so you're able to give a bit more customization and then you add on, you just drip in a few custom pieces of information that are highly personalized. So you only need a, a one, maybe two touch points throughout the year that impugn that very specific knowledge about the relationship that makes them feel that the whole experience all the way along has been highly customized because it is generally along specific to them but with a few minor touch points that are highly, highly, highly personalized with information that only could be delivered by people who have an inside knowledge in them, like their accountants and bookkeepers, gives them that that mass customization approach. And then again, you you factor that in with things like robocalls and communication where I get calls from clients all the time saying, thank you very much for that call, Andrew, the call from the president of the organization. I didn't call them. It was a robocall done by my system. Um, but for 80% of my clients whose this call went to their voicemail, they thought it was a personal phone call from me, the president of the company, just calling and wish them a happy birthday, right? So there's the ways, ways to do that in, with technology. It doesn't work all the time because when they get, when they pick up the phone and they answer the phone and they get a robocall, that almost detracts from the personalization, right? So it's, it's an 80-20 rule. You can, you can give the highly personalized feel um, and, and still make sure that you get in there with a few touch points along the way. So mass, you know, um, mass customize 80% of it, personalize between 10 to 20% of it. Just uh, want to uh, maybe add another perspective. First of all, I haven't done any of this, so I'm just kind of theorizing. But I love uh, Andrew's perspective is, is prioritization. You know, we talked about improving every single touch point of a customer. There, there could be hundreds. Let's pick the top 10 and start there. And I'm sure the top 10 that you improve 
it's going to be fine for the entire system, especially if you train your team to do it and the entire team is bought in. Like, how does Chick-fil-A do it on a mass scale? Because every single person is bought in, right? Same with, same with Disney. Everyone, it's, it, it has to be a team effort. Um, and, and start with the, the 20% that's going to make the biggest impact. That's great. That's great. You got to get the whole team involved. Um, well, we're ending our time. This conversation has been like amazing. And uh, I want to create a, create a great uh, podcast experience by ending on time, but also Honoring thanking, time. Yes, yeah, but also thanking Bob for joining oh. us and for in, encourage, uh, inspiring us to talk about this topic. Um, and so this has been a yeah a, this was the bob show for sure but honestly we want to have more of these we want to have more bob shows <laughs> i do want to i do want to like really emphasize that the next decade is not about technology it's about experience and whoever nails that is gonna be huge in the next decade you got it, you got it. on that note i guess we're out boys we're out boys <laughs> Join Andrew Wall, Hector Garcia, and Michael Lee. One mission, one rule make accounting fun. Welcome to Friday Night Live with Accountants. Are you ready? It's fun. It has nothing to do with the show, so it's fun.